Zechariah chapter 3. This morning we looked at um, the primary application of this passage is you have the accused who is Joshua standing in the place of Israel. He is standing before God for Israel. The accuser who is Satan and who will uh, work through Judas and then he will work through the Antichrist and to oppose God's people all the way up to and through the tribulation period. And then we see our advocate who is Jesus Christ and that's the advocate that Israel had. This evening I want to look at this passage from, as, from a Christian point of view, as opposed to from a Jewish point of view, let's look at this in the way that uh, we as believers would look at it. So keep your place here in Zechariah chapter 3. Go to 1 Timothy. Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. All right, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, he said, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, I've tried to say that to Laura about me, and it doesn't work. She doesn't think that I'll give her understanding in all things. Paul is writing this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Timothy. He says, Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And as we've said before, we naturally do this because we have the writings of the Apostle Paul, because we understand what the gospel is. We understand so many other passages through the lens of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read those passages through the lens of understanding what a church is and what God's plan is. We read those passages through an understanding of the rapture of the church. But remember, God revealed those things to Paul. They weren't revealed before that. So look at the verse again, 2 Timothy 2.7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. My favorite passage to help you understand that is John 3.16. So let's go to John 3.16. How many of you know this verse? Any of you familiar with it? All right. So often if you ask someone what's the best verse on the gospel in the Bible, they're going to say John 3.16. What's the clearest message? What's the most well-known passage? They're going to say John 3.16. So let's look at it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's interesting that the gospel is not in that verse. But what happens when we read it, here's what we read. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to be born of a virgin and live a sinless life and to die on the cross for our sins, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's How many of you, when you read that verse, that's exactly what you know it's speaking of, right? But that's not what it says. But what is going on is you have read... Paul's writings. You're considering what Paul said, and God is giving you understanding of this passage through the writing of the Apostle Paul. And so it's fine to believe what we believe about this verse. It's not wrong to believe this is talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, John 3.16, because it is. It's just those words aren't in the verse. We plug those words into it because we know about the death, burial, and resurrection, and that that's the gospel. That's what we believe about Jesus. 
in order to be saved. Just believing that Jesus existed doesn't save us. It's believing that He's God and that His sacrifice paid for our sin. Believing that is salvation. Believing in Jesus is not salvation. So, consider what I say, Paul said, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. So now let's look at Zechariah chapter 3, at least those first few verses, through the writings of the Apostle Paul. And let's see if we can find ourselves there. So Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And, and I have to stop there again. That's just an amazing verse. Satan is standing next to Joshua, resisting him, opposing him. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, remember, and I had this in my notes. I don't remember if I said it this morning. Satan hates God's people. That's why he's their accuser. Satan hates God's people. Then, verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. So the first thing that I want you to see, looking at it through the writings of the Apostle Paul, is the condition of the sinner. The condition of the sinner. Look at verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. The Bible says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. We're all together gone out of the way. The condition of the sinner is we are clothed in filthy Garments, And we saw that from Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. And of course, that is the prayer that Israel makes to God. All of our righteousnesses are as sinful rags or are as filthy rags. And this is one of those things, I don't know if it's true or not. I've never looked at it. Um, I was taught that those filthy rags were in a world where there was leprosy, that they would have rags hanging from poles. And those lepers would go to those, and, and their, their sores would ooze. And they'd go to those rags and wipe off that ooze so it wouldn't come off on someone else and cause them leprosy. That's the filthy rags. That's what's being described. And according to the Word of God, that's what our righteousness is like. Awful. It's awful. Have you ever been to a place and you turn on the water and it comes out and it's kind of brown? Have you ever seen that? And you have a guest and you give them a drink. Here. Was it Marty Robbins that did that song, Cool Water? Was that? Brooks and Dunn. I think this one's older than I'm thinking of. I don't think that's what he had in mind. Something filthy like that. And what God wants us to understand is what we would offer Him is that filthy rags. The best that we can offer is 
filthy rags. That's the condition of the sinner. So what are we doing? We're looking at this through the lens of the writings of the Apostle Paul, the condition of the sinner. And then look at the sinner's end. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And it's interesting, um, whenever I see that verse, I think of what I heard years ago, that someone said uh, that some people, they make it to heaven, but it was close. They were swinging over hell on a banana peel. That's... That's the idea here, that you have people that they have no good works to offer God, nothing. So at the judgment seat of Christ, that's what this is. It's only saved people at the judgment seat of Christ. Some people are building their life on gold, silver, and precious stones. They're living their life for the Lord. They're being obedient to the Word of God. They're using their gifts for the Lord in the local church. And that's what is tried at the judgment seat of Christ, the work of the Lord. Your work in discipleship, that is the basis of the judgment seat of Christ. But notice what it says. They're saved so as by fire. They are so close to hell, they don't realize how close they are to hell. Now, aren't you glad that your works don't determine whether or not you go to heaven? Remember what this is saying. This passage is saying there are some people that are going to have absolutely no rewards in heaven. None, but they still get to go to heaven. That's a pretty good reward. That's the grace of God. Our salvation is the grace of God. What is the opposite of heaven? Heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. As good as heaven is, that's how bad hell is. And we, ha we are a brand plucked from the fire. Our condition is filthy rags. Our destination is hell until Jesus Christ steps in and changes our destiny. What a blessing that is. Fire and burning the sinner's end. But then look at Satan's opposition. Satan's opposition of the sinner. So back to Zechariah. <clears throat> look at verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Did you know that Satan is against us? What does the Bible say? Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is against us. He has established this entire world system to be against us. And Satan is resisting us today. Now, you've heard me say a thousand times, Satan probably doesn't even know my name. Right? He's not omniscient. Satan doesn't know everything. But he has established a world system that is against everything that I want to do that's good. 
Everything that God puts in me, it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Everything that God puts in me to do good, there's an entire world that's against that. An entire world system. Satan is opposing the sinner. Satan also opposes the believer. Remember that Satan doesn't want anyone to get saved. Let's look at 1 Timothy I did it again, Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two. Look at verse 19. We're looking at that foundation again. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 19. "Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. Aren't you glad that He knows you? That's so good. Uh, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, it's, it's very clear there are some vessels that are used for good things, and there are some vessels that are used for less honorable things. You have your china, that is for something special, right? And then you have your toilet. That's used. It's, it's still important, but I think that we would call that less special, right? And so, look, look at what this says. But in a great house, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. I remember when my mom passed away. So, mom was gone, and then when dad passed away, we didn't really do anything with mom's things while dad was still living. And just to respect dad, you know. And so when dad passed away, we went to the house and all of those special things. So the Hummels and the, the little vases and the, just all the, those things that, that my mother had accumulated from her aunts and her mother and her grandmother and all of those special things that were in the house. My sisters gathered them all up and put them on the dining room table and everybody took turns. Said somebody would go and take something. And, and what was kind of cool was, you know, sometimes, have you ever seen those things go really bad? And what was really cool about this was they would say, I'd like this. Is this, is this really special to anyone here? And someone might say, you know what, I've really wanted that. And I don't think there was a time when they didn't say, well, here, you have that then. What are those? Those, are, those were vessels of honor. And just so you know, Mama, we didn't have anything valuable. They were just special to us. You know, it, that's, it, it was a really neat thing. They were vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. What's wonderful about the church is we're all special to God. We're all special to the Lord and to His work. We are vessels of honor. And it's interesting that in any house there's a vessel of honor and a vessel of dishonor. We can all be vessels of honor or we can be a vessel of dishonor. What's interesting, did you know that God gets His glory from vessels of honor and from vessels of dishonor? You can decide which of it you're on. God gets glory by giving us His grace. God also gets His glory by meeting out righteous judgment. All of that brings glory to God. I know what side of it I want to be on, right? 
So then look at what it says, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. Meat, that's usable. Meat for the master's use. And prepared unto every good work. Um, I used to, uh, to run track, and when I ran, one thing I learned is my legs were too short to do well in some of those races. Okay, so uh, I, I was not physically prepared to do well in some of those. Others I did okay that required less height. You know, I was not a great hurdler. <laughs> no one ever asked me to do hurdles. It, 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 but when I ran, one of the things I learned was it mattered what I ate and drank before I ran. You know, uh, wrestlers. Do we have any wrestlers here? You guys wrestled, any of you? You had to make weight, didn't you? Man, and sometimes you'd be eating. I remember um, I had a friend who was trying to make weight for wrestling, and he lived on water and bananas. You know, had to make weight, had to put that aside, had to get, had to get rid of that weight. Do you know that's the way it is for anything? To be good at anything, there are things that you have to put away. Doesn't matter what it is. To be good at anything, there are things that you have to put away. That's what this passage is talking about. And then it gives us some examples so we can be prepared for good work. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of, what does it say? The snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, how many of you think being in a snare is Satan resisting you? Isn't that interesting? Satan is trying to keep you from knowing who God is. He's trying to keep the truth out of your life. So what, God do, or what Satan does in this world now is he tries to remove scriptural truth from people. You know, so um, Google. Um, I don't know, I have an Apple computer, and when I'm typing a biblical word, man, it'll fill in every word in the world except something that comes from the Bible. That's removed from their dictionary. They're trying to keep biblical truth from it. So Google, they'll do their little uh, emojis or whatever uh, on special days, but they won't do it for Christmas. They won't do it for Christian. They'll, they'll do it for Wicca. You know, they'll do it for Ramadan, but they're not going to do it for Jesus Christ. It, it is so amazing. Satan wants to keep those things from us. He wants to keep the truth of God hidden. But what does he do for believers? What does this world system do? The best thing that Satan can do to keep us from knowing God, what we know what we're supposed to do, is to keep us too busy. We're distracted by input, information, 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 smartphone, television, uh, all these different avenues of information coming to us, but we don't have time to spend time in God's Word. We don't have time to do that. Um, how many of you think it took a little while to put that information together this morning? Now, I can't take credit for all of it. You know, James Knox had done a bunch of that. Um, other people that I study... Um, Arno Gabeline, Merrill Unger, um, uh, David Barron, these people that I've read after who have done so much work in that, and then my own study, do you think you can do that and spend 30 hours a week watching cat videos? <laughs> right? 
These are the things that, that Satan has put into the world. Now, am I saying that cat videos are satanic? Yes. The best name for a cat is Target. And so, uh, now nah, that's not true. Second best name. But so th- this is the idea of how Satan resists sinners and saints today. He is our adversary, the devil, and he has established this world system. So the condition of the sinner, fire and burning the sinner's end, Satan's opposition to the sinner. But let's look at the power of God's word. Back to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. You know what the Bible says? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than overcomers through him that loves us. We're more than conquerors through him that loves us. Isn't that awesome? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What God does with us through His Word, it's amazing what God can accomplish in us and through us because of His Word. Here in Zechariah 3, God says, The Lord rebuke you. Satan rebukes, or, uh, the Lord rebukes Satan for us. And remember what I pointed out. Go back to, to Zechariah. I want you to see this. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. So God the Son is rebuking Satan in the name of God the Father. And for us, remember, the, the idea of an indwelling Holy Spirit is absent from the Old Testament. But we have that seal of the Holy Spirit. We have that indwelling Holy Ghost in us. So now in our lives, who rebukes Satan for us? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I love that. And so we have the power of the Word of God. The Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have Christ in us. That's our strength. That is our power and we need to meditate, and that's what the Bible says. We've got to give ourselves wholly to them. I like what Paul wrote. He said they addicted themselves to the ministry. They, they, they just had to do it. They addicted themselves to the ministry. That's what God does in us and through us because of His Word. And let me tell you something. When life is hard, and has life ever been hard? Be honest. I'm not being flippant. How many of you, life has been hard at some point? How many of you life's being hard right now? You're going through some things right now that are difficult. Here's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to look inward. He wants us to focus inward. He wants us to be distracted from our calling and the needs of others by our own problems. Because here's what Satan knows. One of the most therapeutic things anyone can ever do when they're in trouble, is to take their eyes off of their problems and look on someone else's problems. It's one of the most important lessons that we can learn. Because let me tell you something. 
Um, you know, I think some of you know, I've, I've mentioned his name, Jordan Peterson. I'm real interested in, in his thinking. He's not saved. He's not a believer. Um, he's, someone said, a friend said, he's not far from the kingdom of God. He, he's close. I hope that he gets saved. But kind of the foundational premise of his writing is that all of life is suffering. And the, the key to a life well-lived is learning how to deal with the suffering. Not only learning how to deal, but learning how to prosper and abound in the suffering. Does the Bible say anything about that? And what's interesting is the, the solution that the Bible gives to our sorrow is casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. How many of you know God cares for you? So we give Him that care. And when we give Him that care, you understand that all of us, we can only lift so much weight. Right? I remember I was in high school. I had I was skinny. I, I know that's shocking that I was actually skinny at one point. Yes, I've won the battle against anorexia. Thank you for praying for me. I've, I've won that battle. But uh, I, was, I, I had 185 pounds on the bar, and I was by myself, and I, I had gotten it so far, and I couldn't get it any farther, and I couldn't get it high enough to get it back up to the rack. Anyone else have ever been in that situation? You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I should have had a spotter. I, I couldn't get it. It didn't matter what I tried. I couldn't lift it. Now, what you're supposed to do is flip it off of you. Well, I was afraid to do that. You know, I'm in ninth grade or something, 10th grade. I was afraid to do that. And so I rolled it <laughs> down me like this until I got to my legs and I was able to sit up and, and get it off of me. I had lines of bruises all the way down my body from this bar of weight. And my dad came in right after that. And he said, what happened? I said, I couldn't lift that up. He said, oh, this? And he picked it up like this and put it on the weight bar. And so I, I've hated my dad ever since that, that moment. We've all gotten to the place where you've, you just can't carry anymore. You're not capable of carrying any more than you have. Now, let me ask you, how many of you are saved? Be honest with me. How many of you, you are born again? The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will with the temptation make a way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. So God will never give you too much, more than you can bear. Have you ever said this? I can't take anything else. Have you ever said that? What's interesting is, if the next thing doesn't come, you may have been right. If something else comes, you weren't right. Because God knows what we can take. But there are times when we realize, there, I can't take any more. I can't carry any more. Do you know what Jesus Christ would say to us on that? Then put it down. You're not supposed to be carrying it. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And then what does the Bible say? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if I am under the weight, if I'm under the pressure of all of my troubles, of all of my burdens, I can't carry Doug's. I can't do it. But what if Doug comes along and takes some of mine? How about that? then that might free me up enough to recognize that I need to put all of that on the Lord. 
Do you know sometimes it's a brother or sister in Christ that comes and helps lift a little bit of that off of us, that gives us the room to breathe, to be able to look to God? Sometimes we can't even look to Him. But the most therapeutic thing that we can do for ourselves is put that weight on Jesus Christ, give it to Him, and then we go and take some weight off of someone else. Man, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to believe that. When you're in the middle of a struggle, it's hard to believe that if I... I don't... Because here's what we say. Man, I'm so stressed right now, I don't need someone else's stress too. You know we're wrong in that? That God created us to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love the passage. It's 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, um, But God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency, may abound unto every good work. Is God able to do that? Then why aren't we abounding? Now look, I'm not saying that you can be on top of the world all the time. That's unrealistic. And I don't think God expects us to be there all the time. Because He tells us that when we're in trouble, He's there for us. He expects us to be in trouble at at certain points. And yet, if we would cast our burdens on Him and simply believe that, claim the promises of God, and turn our focus, even if it feels like it's superhuman effort, to turn our focus away from our own problems to someone else. Man, it helps so much. Laura and I say this all the time. One of the benefits of being in the ministry is that we get to see what other people are going through. And it tells us, I don't have any problems. I don't have any problems. Because if you look around, somebody always has it worse than you do. It doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't bad. Amen? It's just that thinking, turning your mind to someone else to think about them and try and bear their burden. One of the greatest things that we can do is look to the needs of someone else. That's what God wants us to do. The Word of God gives us the power to do that. And that's the instruction that He gives, the power of God's Word. But then I want you to see the the work of salvation Verse 4, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus Christ took away my sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Remember what we say on that. I'm so sinful, I'm covered up in sin, you can't see me. This is me. I'm so covered up in sin, you can't see me. This is Jesus Christ on the cross... Jesus Christ was made to be sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I'm covered in filth. Jesus Christ took that filth and put it on Himself so that I could be made righteous. That's the work of God in salvation. He took off my filthy garments and He put them on Himself. That, wouldn't it be bad enough for Him to have to touch it at all to get it off of me? But he didn't just do that. He wore it. He bore my sin. He became sin for me. That's an amazing thing. And then I want you to see the glorious transformation from the sinner to the saint. Verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That hope of newness is such a wonderful thing. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get tired of being me. You ever just make yourself crazy? Right? So after I got done preaching this morning, I said that. I make myself so mad because I'd gone too long, you know, and over-explained. And, you know, you're, you guys are out there thinking, you know, yeah, Pastor, we've got it. Yeah, we, we, we've got that. And I'm going on and on and on and on and on. You ever tired of being yourself? You know what the good news is? I had another chance tonight. <laughs> you know? That newness, that newness that we have. God is, wants to make us new. Say, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been saved for 20 years. Well, tomorrow can be new. Tomorrow can be new. Do you know that God, starting right now, wants to make you new? doesn't matter how long you've been saved. He wants to make you new. That transformation. Now remember, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm forgetting those things, but I've still got that progress to make. And we're not going to make it until Jesus Christ takes us out of this body. And yet, we can be better than we were. We can be better than we are. Not by us trying harder, but by us yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to make us new. We talk about that cult of trying harder. That's unbiblical. I don't need to try to be better. I need to yield myself to the Holy Spirit who will make me better. It's so important to see that He that does that, the glorious transformation of the sinner. But then I want you to see this, and this is last, the subsequent service by the redeemed. Look at verse 6. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. For us, again, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What does it then go on to say? Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. We've been given a job. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the new life. Can we look at the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Remember, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Takes off those, old, those filthy garments, clothes us in righteousness. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Look at this. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out into the world and tell them, Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants, he wants to know you. He wants to save you. I want you to be reconciled to God. That's the ministry that God has given us. So not only did God save us, not only did God change our garments, but He gave us a job to do. Subsequent service of the redeemed. Zechariah chapter 3. It's amazing. The, the, the doctrinal interpretation of it is Israel, but the amazing spiritual application, looking at it through the writings of the Apostle Paul, it's exactly what God has done for us. Amen? Amen. Man, are you glad you're saved? 
How many of you, you could honestly say, you know what? I got to look out. I've got to stop looking at, at, at my problems, my family's problems. I need, I need to look out at what someone else's need. Any of you could say that tonight? That's what you need to do. Uh, how about this? How many of you could say, you know what? I'm so thankful that God gave me a new life. But I need to get more involved in ministry. I need to be doing the things that God wants me to do. Now, again, trying harder is not going to help you. Yielding to Him. Now, it's going to take effort to clear your schedule so that you can do what God wants you to do. Isn't that right? You know, God can help you do that. Uh, I remember, and, and I'm done. I, I don't want to drag this out. But um, my friend Mark Rasmussen called me. I was working selling um, windows. And I was in charge of the installations. I was installation manager for this company. And, and uh, it was a good job. And Laura worked there in the office. And it was a Tuesday. And he called me and he said, uh, Jim, when are you going to finish school? And I said, I don't know. And he said in, that he had just gone to Crown and they had just started the college. They well, there were less than a semester old, I think. And um, he, said, it, he said, you need to come down here. It's different. And he, I had known him from Hiles. He said, it's different than, than Hiles was. It's just different. And I said, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you what. I promise you I'll pray about it. And... I was busy. I had a, a, a full job, a full schedule. Laura was busy. We had a life that we had established. I was 30 years old. I wasn't a kid. And that was a Tuesday, and I prayed, Lord, I'm just going to surrender to you. If you want me to go down there and finish school, just let me know. Thursday, Laura and I were both fired. And let me tell you something. The way that sales works, especially in outside sales, if you're a closer, you can do anything in the world you want to do. It's almost impossible to get fired from a situation like that. And I was a closer. The, the average outside salesman closes 10% of your, his leads. To work at that place, you had to close 40% to even stay working there. I averaged 55% of my leads. I closed them. We got fired. Do you know what God did? He cleared my schedule. <laughs> so you know what we did? I went back to school. And it wasn't easy. A lot of hardship happened. I went down there. You know, I just told you what a great closer I was. And it was great because I had a friend who ran a siding business. And I had already sold siding. I knew all about it. We had worked at the same company. Christian guy down there named Keith Lay. He hired me. I couldn't sell a thing. God took it away from me. You know why? Because he knew I had always trust my sales ability and I wouldn't trust him. Do you know how hard it was for me at 30 years old to go to Circuit City and sell car stereos? Taking orders from a 19-year-old kid. His name was Knox Williams. He looked like a Campbell Soup kid. Had the red face and the swoopy hair and telling me what to do. God worked through all of that. I was proud, you know, I'm strong. And then we had Riley, and Riley got sick and died three weeks before I graduated. And God's working through all of that, through all of those burdens and working through us and doing everything that He needed. And every step of the way, it was, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Yielding to Him, surrendering to Him, 
It's just amazing what God will do if you're willing to do that. See, it's not about trying harder. It's about being willing to do what He wants to do and then step back, sit back and watch what He does. So some of you are saying, well, I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to get fired. I don't know that that's what God's going to do. You know, We think if I surrender to the Lord, He's going to send me to Iraq to be a missionary. You know, you're going to have to go to you know someplace South Africa where they're killing white people or something. You know, God loves you, and He's going to put you exactly in the best place for you. We just have to be willing to submit to Him and to surrender Him to Him in our lives. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to rest in Him and trust Him for your future? It's fine to make plans. Right? Remember the story in the Gospels where I'm going to build barns and I'm going to raise all of this. Oh, fool. Today your soul will be required of you. And then what did Jesus say? That a man's life consists not of the things which he possesseth. It's okay. What is it? Men make plans and God laughs. Right? How about we surrender to God's plan and see what God wants us to do? Amen? I love it that Zechariah, looking through the writings of the Apostle Paul, we find ourselves. Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you speak to us through your word.